Welcome to Rex Factor. This week, Edgar. With your hosts, Graham Duke and Ali Hood. Hello! Hello! And welcome to Rex Factor, reviewing all the kings and queens of Scots, from Kenneth McAlpin to James the Sixth. And this week, oh dear, oh dear. Now, you've been getting confused recently with people with uh, familiar names, such yeah. as the difference between a Donald and a Duncan. Very easy mistakes to make, I'm sure you all agree. Now this week we've got Edgar, which is a different kind of name to Donald and Duncan. Significantly. But it is similar to the name of a Saxon king that we reviewed, <laughs> called Edgar the Peaceable. Right. Now, this is why, when I said, uh, when I grabbed the microphone just then to do the introduction to this week, I said, who is it? And you went, Edgar, and then press record, <laughs> just <laughs> to see my face, yeah. I think. Oh, dear. But mm. also, it's rather similar to Edgar the Etheling, who oh. is Edgar of Scotland's uncle. So we have three notable Edgars. For you to deal with, at least two of whom will feature prominently in this episode. Uh, and we've covered three already. So to make it clear who we're talking about, when we say Edgar, we will mean King Edgar of Scotland, the subject of this episode. Okay. If we mean Edgar the Etheling, we'll maybe try to just say the Etheling. Oh, good idea. Or his uncle. Yeah. And if we do talk about Edgar the Peaceable, we'll go for the full-on Edgar the Peaceable. Okay, that's clear. So, to tidy things up, a little bit of backgroundy stuff before we begin. Lovely. We go back to the first of the Duncans, mm. Duncan the First, who was killed in 1040 by Macbeth. Yeah. His two sons, Malcolm and Donald Bain, went into separate exile mm. during Macbeth's reign. Mm. However, Malcolm the Third, the eldest son, comes back, kills Macbeth and his stepson Lullock, yep. rules for 30 years a stable reign with a more sophisticated European court thanks to his marriage to Margaret of Wessex. Ah, yes, the famous Margaret. Indeed. But then disaster strikes in 1093 when Malcolm is killed in an ambush at Annick. Malcolm III. Malcolm III is killed in ambush at Annick, and then when his wife Margaret hears about this, she dies of grief shortly later in Edinburgh, which leads to a power vacuum. Yeah. Now, the confusion in Scotland at this point comes from the fact that it's not clear who's going to be king next, partly because Malcolm has a lot of sons. Yeah. So he had Duncan by his first wife, Mm -hmm. and he then has six sons by Margaret. Yeah. Edward, Edmund, Ethelred, Edgar, Alexander, and David. And a few of them had a crack. Yes, and of course, most probably, he's also got a brother, Donald Bain, who'd been in exile in the Hebrides, but now Mm. he comes back. So, Edward, the eldest son by Margaret, died of wounds uh, from the ambush at Annick. Yeah. So he's out of the picture. Duncan was based in England at this time, Mm. so he wasn't able to take advantage in 1093. And Ethelred, it seems, was some kind of monk. Right. So he's probably either physically or mentally not really <laughs> up for the job yeah. of kinging. Right. So Edgar is the fourth son of Malcolm III and St. Margaret of Wessex, mm-hmm. and thus the fifth son of any note over all of Malcolm. So it's quite impressive that he manages to become a king at all, given how far down the line he actually is. That is really, that is really far. Fifth. Mm. When does that happen? That, I, I can't think, think of anyone. I think Alfred was a oh, fifth son, actually, if not fifth and fourth. But it's very unusual to yeah. go through that many. I can't think of any sort of post-medieval people. No. 
So, fourth son of Malcolm III, he's the nephew of Donald Bain, mm. and he's the half-brother of Duncan II. Right. So that's his relationship to the previous episodes that we've done. Oh, because different mothers. Yes. Yeah. Now, we don't know exactly when he's born, as ever. It was roughly perhaps about 1074, mid-1070. So he's roughly 33, early 30s, when he becomes king in 1097. We are flying through now. So we're doing kings that weren't even born Mm. at the Battle of Hastings. Exactly. Wow. Um, Now, we don't, unfortunately, have any contemporary portraits or descriptions of Edgar. So we rely on the Heritage Playing Card Limited artistic interpretation of his appearance. So, Ali, can Mm. you reveal what does he look like on the card? I'm thinking he's going to look a lot like his brother. Mm -hmm. Uh, Tall, rather handsome and blonde. Okay. (sighs) I swear I never see these. Mm -hmm. I promise I never see these. But this guy is... Uh, brown haired, very bushy beard, and far more thick set. So the opposite, <laughs> basically. Uh, but what an image! He's got a lot of different uh, colours going on. He mix does. And match. Yeah, he's the the usual robe with a lovely red belt and a pair of lovely blue leggings slash <laughs> shoe things. Rather fancy purple cloak. Looking straight at us, hand on hip, the other hand on a sword. Yeah, he looks great. Hmm. Hang on, he's called Edgar the Peaceable. Yes, now, hey. this, of course, is going to confuse what? us somewhat. I think this is just... So, on the card, it's got Edgar, and then it's got brackets, the Peaceable. So, I think whoever made this card, you can effectively, if you were to say it out loud, he'd say, Edgar the Peaceable? The actual epithet that we get given for hmm. Edgar is Probus. Ooh, that's horrid. Meaning, the Valiant. Oh, much better. Edgar yeah. the Valiant. He looks like it, though. He looks like an Edgar the Valiant. Mm. Um, so, how does he become king in all of the chaos of uh, Malcolm III's death? I Yeah, I reckon murderously. Well, so we have Malcolm killed in ambush at Annick. Edgar is actually the one that brings the news of this to Margaret in Edinburgh. Uh, so he comes along, tells mum, then mum dies as well. Oh, God, he's not going to be popular, is it's not, Well, it's not been a good week for Edgar, no. really. He's gone from one death and then... Oh. Doesn't his... So and his brother as brother, well has yeah. also died, yeah. Mm. So he's lost his father, his uh, mother, and his older brother. Oh, that's awful. It's based about a week. Um, now, Edinburgh at this point is besieged, John Forden tells us, by Donald Bain. Oh, yeah. So that's Malcolm III's younger brother, also mm. known as Donald III, because he takes the throne apparently invited to become king by the Scots. Yeah. Because he's seen as being a proper Gaelic Scot, whereas the sons of Margaret, such as Edgar, are seen as being a bit too Saxon. Yeah. Given away by the fact that, of course, he has a Saxon name. Oh, yeah, Edgar. So, um, Donald Bain besieges um, Edgar and all the other brothers who are in Edinburgh Castle, but they are able to escape thanks to something of a miracle. As John of Fordham relates. Lovely. Some indeed tell us that during the whole of that journey, a cloudy mist was round about all this family and miraculously sheltered them from the gaze of any of their foes so that nothing hindered them as they journeyed by land or by sea. So what's he saying happened there? A lot of fog meant that they were to slip out without anybody Uh, seeing them. uh, Okay. I thought he presumed that they were... Flew <laughs> on the clouds. <laughs> no, okay, right. Um, so, like, should we assume then that there was a little sally port or something they slipped out of? And yeah, right. 
And uh, the man who is credited with rescuing them, mm. in effect, is the Etheling. The uncle. The uncle, Ethel. Edgar the Etheling. Yeah. Um, so he is Margaret of Wessex's brother, mm. and thus uncle to Edgar and the others. And he is also the last royal Saxon male in yeah. the line of Alfred the Great and all those others. He's the last one. He was too young in 1066 to really challenge for the throne. Mm. He launched a few failed rebellions against William the Conqueror. But he then seems to have got on a little bit better with the sons of uh, William the Conqueror. Yeah. However, he's a bit worried that by taking all of these children down from Scotland to the court of William Rufus in England, because they've all technically got a claim to the throne via that Saxon line, it might be seen as treasonous. Oh, I haven't considered that. Not like it. That it's not like an invasion, but it is an invasion yeah. of of claim. Like, yeah, yeah. Suddenly, flood the court with. And money. indeed, currently, according to uh, John of Forden, there's a, a knight at Rufus's court called Orgar. Oh dear, that he sounds heavy. Who challenges Edgar? And, uh, challenge, sorry, <laughs> challenges the Etheling. Yeah. And accuses him of treason. It, it doesn't sound like it's going to end well. Well, uh, the Etheling um, is fortunate that a chap called Godwin. Another knight stands as his champion. So Godwin and Augur fight this trial by combat. Godwin is victorious. Augur is killed. The Etheling is restored to favour and William Rufus accepts the Scottish brothers, including Edgar, at his court. Oh, all's well that ends well. All is very, very well. Now, William Rufus, um, who's son of William I, Mm. um, he had experienced a certain amount of conflict with Malcolm III, a lot of border disputes. Yeah. So he's very keen to have somebody on the Scottish throne that's much more compliant and much less likely to be raiding and causing him problems. Yeah. So he, therefore, is quite happy to support the sons of Malcolm because Donald Bain is another person who's doing a lot of border fighting and being awkward. And he's more Scottish, isn't he? That was, that yeah. was the whole thing. So initially, Rufus throws his support behind Duncan II, who... Had been hostage in England and Normandy, grew up at the Norman court, mm. was seen as being very much one of them. So he raised an army in Northumbria, issued a charter at Durham, which was witnessed by Edgar. Yeah. So Edgar's supporting his half brother in this venture. Um, and Donald Bain was expelled. That, and that's the end of him? Well, it wasn't, of course, mm. because unfortunately Duncan II proved rather unpopular. He's never really been in Scotland since he was a child. So he's been brought up as a Norman. He's got an Anglo-Norman army that's put him on the throne. He's seen as effectively a foreign usurper by many people at court. He was persuaded to send his foreign that's army so home. Stupid. I can't believe this. And after which he was quickly killed. Mm. And then Donald Bain returned, but in partnership with the eldest of uh, Malcolm's surviving sons, Edmund. So that's brother number two. So Edgar and Edmund... Do not get on now. No, so Edmund is now seen as having crossed over to the dark side. Mm. So he is now persona non grata as far as William Rufus and Edgar are concerned. Okay. Now what we don't know is what exactly Edgar was doing at this point. So we know that he went north with Duncan because he witnessed a charter issued at Durham while Duncan was on the way up to take the throne. But we don't know whether Edgar continued and helped him take the throne or if he then stayed with Duncan and had to escape when there was the ambush, or if perhaps he went up to Durham, witnessed the charter, and then came back to England again. Yeah, because we don't know... um, He's never mentioned during any of those... Well, it's such a short reign for Duncan II that there's not really much to mention, other than... That's weird, though, isn't it? That he went up to witness a charter, Hmm. and if his brother is going 
that little bit further to be yeah. crowned king. It seems weird that he wouldn't have gone. Well, so maybe he did. But if he did, we don't know. Did he go up, witness him becoming king, and then come back again? Just or time. Or mm. did he have to flee for his life again from Scotland once Donald Bain comes mm. back? Okay. Either way, he does obviously survive whatever happens. Yeah. And now he is the eldest son who is effectively on side for William Rufus. Yeah. And so Rufus is now backing um, Edgar to be the next king. It's brilliant that he can just send the next one. He sends the next one. But Edgar doesn't have particularly good prospects at this point because there had been that Gaelic reaction again to bring Donald Bain back. Mm. And you've got the brother in Edmund, which means there's a younger man up there as well. Uh, and Rufus was quite busy dealing with other issues in England and Normandy, so he's not going to throw his full weight behind Edgar at this point. And uh, so he's probably thinking in Scotland that, yeah, the Scots are happy because they've got Donald Bain in there. Mm. But then also the other anyone who wasn't so happy about that, they've got um, Edmund. Yeah. So it seems quite unassailable, doesn't it? Well, perhaps. Now, in 1095, uh, Rufus suffers a rebellion in Northumbria when the Earl of Northumbria, Robert de Mowbray, leads a little bit of rebellion. So Rufus goes up, brings Edgar with him to help mm. deal with it. And it seems like Edgar at this point um, is invested as King of Scots by Rufus. So it's a formal ceremony recognising him as king. Done not in Scotland, though. Well, not technically in Scotland, but it does seem that Edgar takes control of Lothian, so i.e. the very southern part of Scotland. Oh, right. So that's perhaps a bit of a stepping stone mm. towards launching something else, because Lothian is seen as perhaps a little bit more English in character, rather than the north and the west of Scotland, which is a bit more Gaelic. Mm. So those are likely to be Donald Bain's areas of speciality. Um, so Edgar is now considering himself king, and in a couple of years, in 1097, things were a little bit better, so Rufus sends an army under the command of the uncle, the Etheling. Oh, the Etheling, yeah. But with Edgar there as well, they go up to Scotland, Donald Bain is defeated, he is imprisoned, Edmund is sent off to be a monk, and Edgar becomes the king. Brilliant! Anyway, Edgar is now king. Yep. His first uh, big challenge that we know of is in 1098, when he has to deal with Magnus Barelegs. Did we talk about him? We did talk about him a little bit earlier. Uh, in the previous episode, rather. He's a powerful king of Norway. Oh, yeah. Led uh, a campaign of various raids across the Western Isles of Scotland, um, also Ireland and Montgomeryshire in, yeah. in Wales. Um, and Edgar, at this point, is said to have ceded all claims to the Western Isles in return for peace with Magnus. Wow, what? you must have been terrifying. So, essentially, Sky, all of these sorts yeah. of the Hebrides, they now formally are acknowledged as belonging... To Norway. To Norway. In 1099, Edgar goes back to England and uh, carries um, a sword at a ceremony for William Rufus, inaugurating Westminster Hall. Wow. Okay, the, the very same, the one that's The very same, the very same. Yeah. However, while he's away, it seems that Donald Bain, still in prison, no. does a little bit of plotting trying to oh, uh, yeah, get rid of Edgar. Yeah. But he's unsuccessful, and when Edgar comes back, he has Donald Bain blinded. And as we said in, in Donald's episode, they do love a blinding. Do love a bit of blinding. That's it's a Saxon in him. Yeah. <laughs> Can't keep that down. It's in the blood. I bet he was saying that while he was being blinded. You Saxon rotter. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so Donald Bain uh, dies, mm. as was often the case. Oh, from blinding. From the blinding. Yeah. So it's um, not really blinding so much as death by eye. Yes, but I suppose it wasn't that the sword initially went through the eye and then out the back of the head. I think it probably yeah. stopped there, but... <laughs> It's so horrible, I don't know why I'm laughing, it's <laughs> gross. 
Um, and unfortunately, we don't really know an awful lot of actually what really Edgar does do oh, no. at this point. He does a little bit of uh, land and church, church granting. He says, oh, I give this to thee and this to thou. It's so annoying when this happens. They all set up something great, and they just fail. They don't don't do the middle bit. But what we do know is that he doesn't appear again at court in England, and he doesn't face any more rebellion in Scotland. Pretty good. So that whole thing seems to have been tidied up. However, in 1107, the Chronicle of Melrose relates, the valiant king is said to have died in Edinburgh. But, but, but not by a rival claimant. But not by a rival claimant. Wow. Edgar has died of natural causes, which is the first time that, um, that has happened since Constantine II abdicated in the mid-10th century. Constantine II was the seventh monarch we reviewed, and Edgar is the 22nd, so that's 15 mm. That's since the previous natural stats. causes. But good for Edgar. I mean, but you'd think, yeah, very good for Edgar, but th- struggling to see where the Valiant comes from. I mean, I thought his epithet would have come from the fact that he didn't die at the sword. Edgar the died in bed. Edgar the armoured, or <laughs> <laughs> Edgar the alive. Edgar the, the extremely well protected. Yeah, yeah. Ooh. Well, Edgar the insured. Yes. But No. We're left with the valiant or the peaceable, if the cards are to be believed. Which well, they're not. Let's have a little look into his uh, battleiness record okay. and see why he deserves that title of the valiant. Battleiness. Well, he does have some battling successes that we can potentially give him a bit of credit for. Yeah. In 1094, he may have accompanied Duncan II on his successful invasion of Scotland. Yeah. He may have played a bit of a part in yeah. his brother, his half brother, capturing the throne. In 1095, we don't know the specifics of what William Rufus was up to in Northumbria and Lothian, but it's said that Edgar seems to have taken control of this territory in Scotland and declared himself as king and started granting yeah. land and stuff. Mm. And that is very impressive. If, so technically, he's sort of done it twice, isn't he? If, mm. if, we were to, if we were to be generous and assume that he was really active both times, one time putting someone else on the throne yeah. and another time himself... We had the same situation with Donald Bain, mm. but we sort of neutralised it by him losing it two times. Yeah. Uh, but Edgar doesn't lose it. Edgar, well, it's, yeah, because he didn't lose it the first time because he wasn't around to defend it. Maybe he was one of the foreign troops that got sent home. Yeah. You never know. Yeah, that could have been when he left. Yeah. I mean, that guy was really alone, wasn't he? <laughs> Edgar went as well. Just left there saying, hi. Um, now, in 1097, of course, Edgar, as we just said there, gets to the throne and becomes king himself. Mm. Now, John of Forden, of course, provides a very dramatic account of the events. St. Cuthbert appears in a dream to Edgar. Uh, So St. Cuthbert is um, this sort of, well, sort of patron saint, in effect, of Northumbria, sort of Durham-based. He's the one that they always... great old English saint, really venerated by the Saxons. Um, And he appears to him, and he speaks to Edgar in the dream. Fear not, my son, for God has been pleased to give thee the kingdom, and this shall be a token unto thee, when thou shalt have taken my standard with thee from the monastery of Durham, and set it up against thine adversaries. I shall up and help thee, and thy foes shall be scattered, and those that hate thee shall flee before thy face. Well, in big, bold words, big support. Yeah, big support from Cuthbert. Yeah. So Edgar wakes up, 
tells uh, Uncle Etheling all about it, yeah. and declares that from that moment on, he and his followers and all his army shall go to war under the banners of St. Cuthbert. Right, and I mean, he's proven right, isn't he? Well, exactly so, as John Afforden then relates. When afterwards the armies, that's the armies of Edgar... And Ethel. Ethel, and uh, against Donald Bain and Edmund... Mm. When afterwards the armies met and St. Cuthbert's standard was raised aloft, a certain knight of English birth named Robert, the son of the aforesaid Godwin, so the son of the one that fought the uh, trial by combat. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, And the heir and rival of his father's prowess, being accompanied by only two knights, charged the enemy and slew their mightiest who stood out like champions in front of the line of battle. So, before the armies had neared one another, Donald and his men were put to flight, and thus, by the favour of God and the merits of St. Cuthbert, Edgar happily achieved a bloodless victory. Wow! Apart from the ones that he mentioned having been (laughs) slain. (laughs) Nobody died! (laughs) (laughs) That's, That's brilliant! Well, less good, I suppose. Well, is it good? Because effectively, saying that Edgar turned up, um, one of his men ran off and killed someone, and then the others just ran away. Because they did that, didn't they? Sort of their chat have the two. Well, I mean, as you yeah, just like said, the champions, the two that. champions. I didn't think it would actually work. Or they, or they just that demoralised that they fled. Or was that was that the rule that whoever of those won? <laughs> Come on, guys, let's run away. Yeah, as as rules suggest, we must now turn tail. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, now, maybe. of course, the caveat with that, um, in terms of reliability, is I mean, firstly, obviously, it's John of Forden. Yep. So maybe. Um, Thus, to give Edgar a bit more credit, maybe he did have to do a bit of more hard, nasty fighting yeah. to actually win the throne. Because technically, John of Forden suggests that Edgar was just standing there watching and then that's it all it, finished it? off. Yeah, but that's the only thing we've got. Is that the only... That's the only account of yeah. how it happened. But maybe in reality, it was actually a bit more nasty fighting. You'd think it would have been a bit more nasty fighting, wouldn't you? Unless there was genuinely that rule that you have to... <laughs> you have to run away. You have to run, if, if your champion loses, that's it, mate. I mean, he must have been one hell of a champion, because technically they kind of had two kings with Donald Bain and Edmund. Yeah. So, like, two kings wasn't enough for them to feel strong enough to fight on yeah. once their one guy had been killed. Yeah, there must have been a little bit of a scuffle. Mm. Unless but, Donald Bain or Edmund put so much, like, did a massive speech about basically putting it all on this one guy. <laughs> yeah. And then he died, and it's like, now, don't, just, don't overreact. <laughs> oh, they've already gone. <laughs> yeah, damn. Or, the opposite... That Edgar did after this other chap was killed, did a proper few good men style speech, mm. laying out point by point <laughs> the legality of his claim, and everyone, you're absolutely right. Yeah, for, uh, I yeah, suppose. Yeah, yeah, think about it. Oh, that sounds a very interesting dream. Yeah, he must be the rightful king. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Uh, there's nothing more reliable than <laughs> someone else's interminable dream, and I don't know what it is. So that's uh, that's all the good stuff that we got oh. for Edgar's battliness. Right on the downside. Similarly to Duncan II, we do have very much a case of William Rufus and England gaining acknowledged superiority over the Scottish throne. Yeah, true. So Rufus invests Edgar as king in a formal ceremony, gives him the army to become king, Mm. and then, um, indeed, in 1095, when Edgar issues his charter after that ceremony and taking over Lothian, he says... I, Edgar, son of Malcolm, king of Scots, holding the whole land of Lothian and the kingdom of Scotland by gift of my lord, William, king of the English, and by inheritance from my father, with consent of my foresaid lord, King William. Oh, that's going to go down like 
cold sick, isn't it? With mm. the, especially with the um, with those uh, more proud Scottish people who are yeah. a fan of Donald Bain. That's, but I mean, also with anyone who has any integrity. Yes. <laughs> That's horrible. I guess when he actually got up to Scotland and he was doing the negotiations, they said, so what's what's in that charter? Like, oh, don't, don't worry about that. It's, it's, it's nothing. Yeah. It's nothing. Yeah. Just church stuff. <laughs> Boring. Anyway, <laughs> where's the mead? Um, if uh, a Rufus had, would have given him any pointers at all, it would have been, go up there, get the kingdom, fine. Hmm. Number two, <laughs> no more raiding. We're yeah. going to set these borders. You that see was, this line? Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, my bit, your bit, which is also my bit. Yes. Happy? <laughs> Happy, good. Um, and of course, Edward I, when he's writing the Pope, this is one of the many examples he gives of clear and acknowledged superiority of the English king over the Scots. I can totally see his point. Yeah, you sort of... Um, imagine if Henry VIII mm. were given uh, even a whiff of something that concrete yeah. <laughs> during his chats with the Pope. He yeah. would have had none of the problem Edward had we've just gone straight to it um, on the other hand when um, Edgar does come to court um, apparently Rufus paid him 40 or 60 shillings maintenance what sorry what so that? when Edgar came down for that ceremony with the yeah. sword and the investiture he was given a grant of maintenance so he's given money by Rufus to kind of I mean, like a day live, to live in a certain style yeah wow. and um, he was given a very prominent role of honour at the ceremony you know carrying the sword yeah. So maybe he's given a bit more prestige than perhaps the relationship might imply in the way that we interpret it. I mean, it's sort of like that whole Edgar the Peaceful thing, isn't it? We're trying to confuse things. <laughs> but uh, having the King of Scotland mm. rowing him around, he's he's one of the chaps in the boat, sure. Yeah. He's, he's having a, uh, a, 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 you know, a big role in the ceremony, mm. but there's no question as to whose ceremony it is or whose... Yeah. Standing in the boat. Mm. It's not, not that hot. Also, of course, in 1097, the Chronicle of Melrose describes Edgar's successful invasion. Mm. In the year 1097, King William sent Edgar Etheling mm. into Scotland with an army to drive out Donald and establish King Malcolm's son, Edgar, as king. And this also he did. So it's the Etheling, the uncle, who's the one that leads the army. Oh, right, sorry. I'm just laughing at the abruptness of these things. And this he did. Yeah, they're just they're so matter-of-fact. They went through <laughs> that. In a thousand years, people are going to want to know everything about <laughs> this. Just some colour, any detail at all. Oh. But so it's his uncle that leads yeah, the army yeah, yeah, and yeah. Um, secures the throne for him, in effect. So even his great victory, you know, maybe he's doing a whole lot of fighting and whatnot, but we've got one account which says that he's basically standing at the back while a champion does the business. Mm. Another account which says that it's his uncle that goes off and does it. So it kind of suggests that he's just a pawn that's put there yeah, rather than totally. making his own destiny. Unlike uh, unlike round one, mm. Rufus versus Scots, yeah. when he sent uh, Duncan. Duncan up, mm. who was very clearly head of the army then. Yeah. He'd sort of been trained and all that. There's no, no mention of this. Now, we also have Magnus Barelegs. Oh, of course. Yeah. Now, I've got a little account of where his nickname comes from, mm. from the sagas. When King Magnus came from Western Piracy, he had much of those fashions and manner of dress that were usual in the Western lands, and so had many of his men. They went bare-legged in the street, and had short tunics and also overcloaks. These men call him Magnus Bareleg, or Bare Thigh. I can't pretend I'm not disappointed. Mm. Did hope he was exceptionally hairy. Yeah. Um, 
But that in itself is quite is quite something. Scotland mm. shorts. <laughs> I mean, I'm not sure that. Does anyone ever wear shorts? You, you've been to Scotland a few times. Have well, you ever worn a pair of shorts? Land of the kilt, of course. Very, very true. Mm. So that shouldn't be outrageous, isn't it? Um, well, it's just unusual for, I guess, for a Viking to be doing it. So uh, when he comes yeah. back to Norway and it's like, what are you wearing? Oh, yes. So this is a Norse account. Yeah. Okay, yeah. <laughs> where, where, where have your trousers gone? <laughs> <laughs> Donald. Donald. <laughs> Donald. <laughs> oh, brilliant. We worked it out. Rex <laughs> fact. <laughs> um, so he has this great campaign. Um, in which he was probably seeking to gain control of all Norse settlements in Scotland Island. So we've had all the kind of the islands, the Hebrides, Orkney, etc., which are basically under Viking control, mm. but different ones. So he kind of comes over and wants to basically take over all of it. Yeah. So it's all under his name. So he imprisons the sons of Thorvin the Mighty and uh, puts his own son as the Earl of Orkney. Uh, he, at the top? At the top. Um, and he then comes down and raised uh, Lewis, Sky, uh, Ture, Mull, and uh, I don't know—is it Isla or is it Ile? Isla. Isla. I S L A Y. Yeah. But all the whiskey places—that's what they're doing. They're being <laughs> yeah. very Viking. Whiskey tour. And he visits, but doesn't raid Iona, which is nice of him. Oh, very good of him. Very nice of him. <laughs> Sorry, hang on. We're going back. He visits. It's yeah. not like he doesn't read it. He actually thinks, no, no, come on, chaps, come on, let me on, behave, behave, yeah. behave. This is a great stop. On your left, you'll see Iona. <laughs> wow. Because he was he Christian then? Uh, yeah, I think Norse are Christian at this point, yeah. Okay. So particularly because if you've ever been there, like the gap between Mull and Iona is tiny. Oh. So you can kind of imagine this sort of dust cloud all the way kind of across <laughs> Mull. Stabby, 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 and the people on Iona are thinking, oh dear. Yeah. And they come over, how do you do? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that dust comes, comes to a sudden break, and some, <laughs> some very neatly dressed people pop out. <laughs> um, now, Edgar is said to have um, put a peace deal before Magnus, so Edgar effectively seeks him out. And the deal is that he will cede um, to Magnus the claim for the Western Isles in return for peace. But apparently, Edgar actually ends up giving away a little bit more than he planned to. Mm. According to the Orkney saga, um, King Edgar would let him have all the islands off the west coast, which were separated by water, navigable by a ship with the rudder set. So the depth of water has to be mm. every certain amount. When King Magnus reached Kintyre, he had a skiff hauled across the narrow neck of land at Tarbot, with himself sitting at the helm, and this is how he won the whole peninsula. Oh, wow. That's quite a that's a lot of territory, isn't it? Because that whole area is mm. full of islands. Yeah. Um, so Edgar, um, he'd been king. Um, he becomes king, but we've had several years of civil war mm. when Edgar comes to the throne. So effectively, four changes of rule since 1093. Four cha- in how many years is that? Um, well, so four years basically. Oh, yeah, that's not heavy. That's so it's not all that great. So he probably didn't have sufficient unity or resources to actually resist what mm. Magnus was doing. Yeah. And he was maybe lucky that Magnus had been away so long that he actually needed to get back home to Norway. So he was so, maybe willing to make peace. Certainly. I mean, yeah, making peace is probably quite sensible. But, in Edgar's defence, mm. some historians have suggested this is a rather dubious account <laughs> that the sagas lend to us. Right. Um, Hakan, or maybe Hakan Hakanarsen was a 13th century king of Norway, and he was under pressure at that time from the Scottish monarchs in the 13th century, who were saying, come on now, 
These islands, they should definitely be ours. You've got no claim to them. Yeah. And it's at this point that this account of Magnus Bearlegs and Edgar making a treaty is written. Oh, right. So they're trying to rewrite it. So it's possible that it's entirely fabricated purely to justify the claims to the islands in the 13th century rather than actually anything that happened in the 11th century. But they did end up with the islands. So by the 13th century, they were theirs. Well, yes, but the thing is that in reality, the Scots had probably lost control in the 9th century. If Edgar did make the deal, then he was probably chuckling afterwards because he probably had absolutely no control over this territory (laughs) anyway. Yeah, Yeah, okay. That's probably quite a good idea. So maybe it's not quite as Mm. bad as it first appeared if it was completely invented by Vikings. Mm. So we've got him taking the throne we've got a little bit of action but it's all it's not quite as solid as it maybe might have assumed at first and as we said in previous episodes the um the taking normally in the english series the Mm. taking of the crown of the throne was massive we gave mega points for that as we discussed what's that 15 monarchs before this is a natural (laughs) cause death uh it just seems the norm. It's almost every year. Yeah. At this point. Yeah. It is like to, so to, so to 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 die peacefully is in this series at the moment as impressive as seizing the throne in mm. the English series. Maybe that's where the uh, nickname should come. Edgar the died peaceably. Oh, very nice. Mm. I was about to say I'll post that on Facebook see what epithet <laughs> well, yeah. I think you've smashed it. Um <laughs> It's yeah. There's just oh, there's bits, isn't there? Hmm. Maybe those bits add up to one solid good bit. But so I mean, Donald Bain, we gave a three. Duncan the second, we gave a four because even though Donald Bain kind of did it twice, we felt Duncan had a bit more evidence of being yeah a proper ruler, military figure. I don't. I have to say, I, 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 just, I feel it's a bit empty. Hmm. And yet Edgar is the one that actually sticks it out and isn't overthrown himself. I certainly can't give him more than Duncan. Mm. What did Duncan get you say? Three? Four. Four. Um, uh, he got the throne. One. Yep. He, uh, what was that other battle he had? Oh, he didn't? I, yeah, I'll go, I'll go two. I think for all the other bits and bobs, I'll give him two. But it's not big because I do think your um, your analysis of why mm. he perhaps doesn't deserve it is more persuasive. Yeah, I think I'm going to go with the two as well, which does take him level with Duncan II. I think I guess he deserves that. He earns that on the fact that he actually stays king and it's yeah. successful. But yeah, it's it looks like it could be impressive, but the suspicion is that he's not really mm. in control of the events. To- that's it, totally. And even his speech. Hmm. was basically saying, I'm a puppet, I'm yeah. a puppet. Uh, king William has sent me to become king, and St. Cuthbert had just told me to raise his standard, so, uncle, lead the way. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's Let, exactly send out it. the champion. Yeah, that's it, that's yeah. it. And then ceding some territory. Uh, he, he sort of tries to be a bit Teflon, I think. If you're, yeah. God's on my side, so don't hate me because of that thing. And if, mm. if you're not persuaded by that, then the big English king, mm. he likes me too. And meanwhile, if you have a problem, see my uncle or the challenger, as he said. It's not good. But he is king. So anyway, that's a four for battliness. Scandal. The only thing I've really got here Mm. 
is that he does have his uncle, Donald Bain, blinded and thus Ooh. killed in 1099. And apparently this does set a bit of a precedent in the dynasty for brutally murdering dynastic rivals. Like that hadn't been before? Well, it just seems like it was previously just kind of warry mm. and a bit stabby-stabby, whereas some of the later monarchs, when they have a rebellion come up, they are quite harsh. Well, they finally learnt the lesson, I think. I mean, <laughs> who is the guy who is effectively a serial killer? Malcolm. Malcolm the <sighs> second. Oh, that was fun. Um, <laughs> this this guy with a bit of blinding, I can't help but think that perhaps he was told that it might be a really good idea by Rufus, <laughs> and he wouldn't have done his own admin, so mm. he'd have just gone, oh. And at that point, Rufus would have said to the person on his right, go and blind Dun- um, <laughs> Donald. So I don't know how much uh, he would have had to do with it, really. And also, it's pretty understandable. Donald Bain had stolen the throne... Um, twice. He'd expelled Edgar once, if not twice. He'd killed his half-brother, plotted against him. He had a blinding coming his way, didn't he? <laughs> yeah. And indeed, the other one, Edmund, his, his brother that um, had joined Donald Bain, he doesn't get killed. He's sent to a monastery in England, mm. which is quite merciful, really. Mm. Yeah, I mean, Donald Bain had... Uh, yeah, yeah I mean, he deserved the brunt of it, but... Um, but is it that scandalous in that context of I, all of that, really? As we said, I don't feel it is, because death by... Rival mm. is how you die. Yeah. yeah, it's pretty nasty, though. Having said that, I mean, it's a, if we were to review any other king, yeah, and they said, "Oh, and by the way, he uh, blinded and murdered his uncle, uncle, uncle. and predecessor." Yeah. Uh, you'd say, "Well, that I mean, that's a hefty. That's a two at least." Yeah. So I think I'm gonna, after acting that out in my mind, yes. I'm gonna go with two. Yeah, I. Uh, God, this is boring, isn't it? I'm going. I think I two as well. Yeah, it's just. I, is that awkwardness that now, because we've done all of these ones, like you said, if this was the English series, that yeah. would be an automatic sort of five or six, probably, just yeah. for that. Yeah. But because we've had so much killing in the Scottish series, it seems like that's maybe not quite as yeah. big it, a thing. I'm going to give him a three and take him up to a five. I think the fact that we are told that he blinds his uncle almost just makes it that little bit more of a thing, because maybe some mm. of the previous ones did it in nasty ways, but mm. this does actually survive. As I, a record, I worry. Pun the pun, but I worry we're getting a bit blinded to um, <laughs> all the violence and a bit yeah. numb to it all, like a, a child who's playing GTA far too early <laughs> yeah. for his age or something. Anyway, that's a five for scandal. Subjectivity. Well, we do have quite a few positive things mm. to uh, say about Edgar here. He seems to have been rather well thought of by chroniclers. Yeah. Um, Elred of uh, Revo who knew the family quite well. French chap. Mm. Mm. But over at court. He described Edgar as being rather like his ancestor, Edward the Confessor. So he is sweet and lovable, employing no tyranny, no harshness, no greed against his people, but ruling his subjects with the greatest charity and benevolence. Totally how I read him as well. Mm. Um, so it doesn't stand well for battleness, but I think he's going to do well here. Mm. Yeah. Chronicle of Melrose, as we said, described him as being the valiant king. Mm. It's quite a nice, uh, nice thing to say. And he provides some stability, mm. which had been lacking. 1093 to 1097, we saw four changes in who's actually running the country. Effectively a period of civil war. 1098, we've got Magnus Barelegs sort of skipping around and yeah. raiding everywhere. Mm. Um, we'd also got 1099, a bit of a plot by Donald Bain. So it's really... A lot of stuff that's going on, but Edgar, he rules for a decade, he ends the civil wars, doesn't have a major conflict with Magnus. And dies peaceably. Dies peaceably. Um, 
he also is has peaceful relations with England, mm. which is a good thing for Scotland, really. His brothers witness his charter in 1095, so they're on board, mm. which, again, is a conflict um, comparison to that Edmund chap. Well, and all brothers. And all really, brothers, yeah. yeah. Um, now, Duncan II had also conquered with an Anglo-Norman army. He wasn't able to secure himself as ruler, whereas Edgar does which suggests that Edgar perhaps is a little bit more effective. Yeah, we haven't covered that. Why would they why did they accept Edgar and not Duncan? Maybe when um, Edgar was in the negotiations and they said, "Look, first thing, as we said to your brother, the foreign army needs to go." <laughs> says, "You know what? I'm just going to keep them and see yeah. see how things pan that's, out." That's a red line from me. <laughs> Uh, so you think it was forced because like the, the weight of the English support mm. at that point. Mm. Mm. Um, but you know, so he makes it work as John Afforden says. Edgar reigned in happy peace, which is lovely. Mm. I mean, it, and it is really good. Having nothing to say here is yeah. really good. Over <laughs> ten years, mm. brilliant. Um, he makes some grants. He gives some land to various people. Um, ten ninety five, he gives Berwickshire to the monks of Durham. 1098, he also grants Coldingham and is present at the foundation of a new church there. They love a church, those monks. Um, for Dunfermline, which had been set up by his mother, Margaret, mm. um, she had brought um, these monks from Canterbury yeah. to Dunfermline, but Donald Bain seems to have sent them packing. Yeah, they, he hated all English things. Yeah. So uh, Edgar appeals to the new Archbishop of Canterbury, Anselm. Mm. Oh, we know him. You remember from yeah. his conflict with uh, Rufus yeah. and mm. also Henry the First, um, and had some more monks sent up. Um, so he restores Dunfermline effectively. <laughs> oh, I like that. I just find monks very funny in this <laughs> era <laughs> to have them shuttling about. We need a, more monks. <laughs> need a full complement of monks in this monastery. <laughs> that is the trouble with this. With with subjectivity at this point, it's all written by monks. Yeah. So. They do well if they give their stuff to the church. Yeah. There's no, but so we're just presuming that no war is the best that yeah. ordinary chaps can get. Exactly, and we see evidence of good diplomacy from Edgar. Ooh. We saw this perhaps as a weakness in battles, but he wins support of Rufus, and mm. that helps him become king. Mm. So, snivelly rat bag or not, <laughs> it's it's pretty pretty effective. Yeah, I mean, I don't actually think of it as, as snivelly rat bag. Yeah, I, I he definitely just just made the decisions that ensured he firstly stayed alive yeah. then became king and stayed king i think this is yeah it's good mm. it's very good um now later on he gives an estate to uh, robert the son of godwin mm. who um was his crucial champion in, mm. exactly um so he gives him some estates in lothian but apparently he gets imprisoned by ranulf flambard who's the him? bishop of durham oh um so i guess he's tarrying an estate which flambard obviously considers himself to have a claim to. So Edgar secures his release um, by having a bit of a chat to William Rufus. Really? So he just sees the Mafia boss mm. and says, got a bit of a trouble <laughs> up in Scotland. <laughs> <laughs> and he just sends some heavies. He? Yeah. Wow. Why didn't he have the power to say to the fellow who imprisoned him, let him go? Well, I mean, he's the Bishop of Durham and he was quite a prominent minister under uh, Rufus yeah, as well, bishops. so it's... He's effectively a minister of state, really. Right. Okay. But that shows that yeah. he's got leverage with Rufus, that he, he speaks to Rufus and he gets his man he's got his ear. released. Yeah. That's good. So it can go both ways. So it is useful to have the ear of the much more powerful monarch in reality. 
Yeah, that's true. It's not just he all his bidding, is it? And as you say, he doesn't seem to have had much of a role under Henry I, but he does become his brother-in-law, so he's got another useful contact there, should he need it. Yeah. They never met, then? Um, it's not clear. It's possible, but it's not recorded. But it doesn't matter. No, there's nothing that... Yeah. yeah. Now, in 1105, we have uh, this little nugget related to us by the Annals of Innisfallen. In this year, the elephant, which is a beast of marvellous bigness... <laughs> was given by the King of Scotland to Murkatak of Brian. You did say elephant, didn't you? I did say elephant. Why is he got an elephant? Well, Murkatak is a high king, or it's probably Murkatak, it's a high king in Ireland, um, descended from Brian Baruma, and he's allied to Magnus Berlegs and the rebels in Montgomery. So he's another one of these kind of awkward figures, a little bit on the periphery, that right. Edgar might have cause to worry about if they start yeah. messing around in his land. So perhaps Edgar, having made that deal or not with Magnus Bearlegs, is also seeking to make sure things are cool with Murkatak. Yeah. Um, so he gave him, him an, an elephant. elephant. <laughs> That's the logical next step. <laughs> I say, that chap over there calling all the trouble, give him that huge long-nosed pig, would you? <laughs> that'll, that'll, that'll see him fine. Well, well, weirdly, apparently, according to the sources, I'm not sure why they're so sure it's an elephant, because apparently it's literally translated as camel. I mean, still weird. Still weird. Um, so, the historians have decided that it's an elephant. Yeah, massive bigness. Um, but either way, it's not clear if Edgar had already owned the beast because he had his own menagerie. They loved that, didn't they? Actually? Now, we have had the first crusade at this point. Yeah. So maybe there weren't many Scots that went, but there were a couple. So Ooh. maybe and they'd come back with an elephant. I think. Didn't Henry I have a menagerie in Tower of London? But Henry I had a menagerie. So maybe Wedding there is present? an unrecorded meeting. When um, And it, what an unrecorded meeting that would have been. Really, I was just. Exactly. <laughs> What on earth did Edgar give Henry, though? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, you are giving you this elephant. You give me, what's this, a tea towel? <laughs> Saying, so, so, I, I've been to, I've, I own her, and all I got was this crappy tea oh. towel. Um. I, I would love to see an elephant in 1100 Scotland. Yes. <laughs> what <laughs> possible enclosure could it have had? I mean, wooden. Now, do you like pigs? Yes. Well, then. <laughs> Do you know why I think they look like pigs? They don't at all. <laughs> no. No. They're not even pink. That's uh, Queenie from... Um, oh, but Black yeah. Why say pink. they're pink elephants? Elephant. They're pink. Yeah. Mm. Again, required background reading. You won't, you won't exactly. Anyway, um, either way, he does that, and uh, I don't know if it's really significant in the grand context of Scottish history, but it's pretty fun. It's brilliant. It should be more considered. Yeah. On the downside... He does still rather fall under the category of too English for some people. Mm. His seal depicts him as a... And that's a seal as in that he puts <laughs> in his charter. <laughs> yeah. Um, that depicts him as a crowned king with a scepter and sword, which is, quite again, quite similar to Edward the Confessor. Yeah. Um, his writs and charters are quite similar in terms of how they're phrased to the Anglo-Norman equivalents. Mm-hmm. And um, there's no particular evidence he ever visited the north or the west of the kingdom. And the grants that we've seen are mainly in the Durham area. Mm. A lot of what he's actually positively doing. Yeah. It's warmer. Better for elephants. But it's also technically not actually Scotland. Importantly. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, And actually, 
he's not such a glorious religious benefactor when you see it in a wider context. So other than Dunfermline and Durham, mm. he's not doing an awful lot. So the sees of St Andrews and Glasgow remained vacant for the whole of his reign. Right. I.e. there's no you know, bishop and thing put in place. But that's all right for this stage. I think if you're the the point of this category, isn't it? Would you like to be a subject? Mm. I think you'd be you'd settle settle for that after all this. I'm I'd be, I'd be happy with this. I think mm. um, what's a what's a fair score? Look at these. I think, uh, but the lack of detail, yeah, is a problem. Mm. But uh, I think it's pretty solid, though. Yeah. To die peacefully and to have a for the time long reign. And an elephant. And and an elephant. I mean. That's just lovely stuff. A solid four. One for each leg. Hmm. Um, I'm going to five and a half. Mm. I think he deserves to get sort of somewhere near, um, you know, sort of middling. Yeah. Although maybe that isn't actually very fair. Okay, I'll add, I'll add a trunk in. Five. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so that's a ten and a half for subjectivity. Mm. Not bad, Edgar. Longevity. Now, he doesn't actually quite make it to 10 years, unfortunately. Oh. Um, he rules from late 1097 to the 8th of January 1107. Now, John of Forden states that it was nine years and three months. Ooh, precise. Which sounds about right yeah. in that context. So, thus we will say that he ruled for 9.25 years, mm. which when put into the patiometer gives him a total score there of 3.21. Ooh. Isn't, isn't such so a good. high score. Dynasty, not the program. Well, this does let him down. No children for Edgar. Yeah, we never mentioned Edgar any, uh, non-probus. Yeah. Mm. Um, instead, he names his uh, brother, Alexander. Oh, gosh. As his heir. Oh, no. And his younger brother, David, is granted an appanage in Cumbria. <sighs> but, on the positive, I suppose, if we're going back to subjectivity, that actually this is a, it's a settled succession it's like right this is how it's going to yeah. be you are king you get a bit of land in the lake district i feel we need a bit of a spoiler alert for the next series on this one but it it goes well because otherwise it, yeah that goes as planned that just goes planned i wouldn't like the subjectivity if if mm. he didn't he did <laughs> yeah. die peacefully but just left it to go wrong again yeah no it does uh, it does go as planned alexander is the next scottish okay. king that we'll review right but that is a zero for dynasty and it's a total score for edgar of 22 Point seven one. I'm pleased he didn't have any children mm-hmm. because that does. I think that balances it. Yeah, yeah. So. Because of the lack of. Yeah. So that's twenty two point seven one for Edgar's total score. It's not massively high, though. To be fair, quite a, a number of Scottish kings don't score much above that. Mm. However, does he have that certain something that's uh, lasting legacy, that sense of greatness, that star quality that we call Rex Factor? I mean, if you just look at it on paper, there is a case to be made. Go on. He wins the throne through battle. Yes. He restores stability and Malcolm's dynastic line. Mm. And he gives an elephant to the High King of Ireland. That is a very good point. I mean, (laughs) just saying it out loud again. Yes. Very good point. (laughs) Um, However, (laughs) um, I feel like if he were... To kind of come and stake his claim, he would just bring an elephant and leave it, and then you'd think, well... I, mean, I can imagine him doing... You know that thing I've seen, the the mic drop? I won't do it with our new fancy <laughs> expensive ones that everyone's bought us kindly. But he'd just sort of point at the elephant yeah. and just drop his mic <laughs> like that and walk off. Yeah. That's all he's got, but it's big. Literally. Mm-hmm. Um, against him, of course, his throne is won for him by Rufus and Uncle Etheling. 
Yes. He submits to all of his rivals. Yes. Um, and there isn't actually an awful lot of evidence of what he really does beyond the elephant. And I'm really disappointed that he didn't have any children. I mean, maybe he was really cut up about that and was desperately trying, <laughs> yeah. but it, it's so annoying that it goes to his brother again. Mm. Um, it's a no, even with his elephant. Edgar the elephant. Perfect. There we are. Uh, and it's a no for me as well. Edgar does not have the Rex factor. But he did have an elephant. Though, Which he, is... gave, though he even gave that away, I suppose, didn't he? <laughs> he did, <laughs> There we go. If he'd have kept it, he would have had the Rex factor. Yeah. No. You gave it away. So, let us know what you think about uh, Edgar. Um, you can follow us on Twitter, at um, RexFactorPod. Like us on Facebook. Mm-hmm. Get involved in the conversations there. Email us, RexFactorPodcast at Hotmail.com. And if you go on to RexFactor.wordpress.com, you'll see a blog about this and uh, other episodes um, from the series. And you can also complete polls for all, all of the previous monarchs, including Edgar and the English series, simply saying whether or not you think he deserved the Rex Factor. Yeah, and they're live and ongoing, so you can comment on the previous series and see how your favourite monarch's faring. Exactly. Um, if you'd like to support the podcast, which would be very lovely of you, you can leave a review on iTunes. Oh, that's incredibly helpful, yeah. Helps us to be noticed and also subscribe. Um, now, PayPal, you may have noticed that um, the donate button on our website's disappeared yeah. recently. However, thankfully, we've now set up a new one so that you can donate again. Um, so you can make a one-off donation via PayPal, if you'd like to. Thank you very much. I mean, we're busy ironing out bugs, and that was a, that's one that squashed quickly. That's one. Got rid of that one. Or you can make a monthly donation with uh, crowdfunding. So you click on the Be My Patron link, and then you can join the Privy Council. And what uh, an esteemed bunch you are. Exactly. Now, um, so you make a monthly donation, and depending on the level of donation, you'll get a, a reward. So there's a $1 for a mention, $2 for a comment, $5 gets you a mug, $10 a blog on the podcast of your... Um, no, a blog on the subject of your choice. Mm. And $15, we will do a special podcast episode on the subject of your choice. And we recently did uh, one on the Battle of Waterloo, which yeah. we very much enjoyed. There's been some great ideas coming in that Graham and I have been chatting about. They're going to be good. Um, anyway, so thank you to our new Privy Councillors. We've got some. Susan Pine, N. Stewart 519, Robbie Dale, Lee Rayside, or Ryside, Eric Ripples, Lord Only Knows. <laughs> um, that's what they've put, rather than my interpretation. <laughs> um, J. Corder Weimarch and Doctor Who DDS. I love it that we have their handles. Yeah, right. I lo- yeah, it's much better. But thank you so much. And arise. I'm. If you if this were a video podcast, you could see me doing <laughs> the thingy thingy with my sword. The uh, dubbing. Dubbing. Yes. yes. <laughs> Sorry, that doesn't work already as well. I just pretended to dub my own voice. <laughs> oh. uh, now we have some messages. I like these. Um, so, Stephen Payne, one of our esteemed oh, uh, yeah. Privy Councillors. Now, he was having a think about a point you made in the Edmund Ironside episode. Oh, dear. Um, that there should be some way to give a weighted score for sort of very impressive but short reigns. Did Because they get very low scores because they're not around for very long, but they had, like Edmund, quite an impressive little moment okay. that they had. So, he had an idea of using the factor scores, so battliness, scandal, subjecti- subjectivity, and then dividing them with the patiometer longevity scores, so you effectively oh gosh, get clever. a punchy score yeah. factor. So, doing it this way, in fifth place is Richard III. In fourth place, Edward VIII gets yeah. 94 <laughs> rather than 25. Wow. 
In third, Edmund Ironside gets 131 instead of 24. Gosh. In second place, Harold II gets 160 rather yeah, than 38. that's much better. And in first place, Sven Forkbeard gets 1,073 points instead of 27. Wow! That's great. What a fantastic idea. But it did make me think, actually, about the longevity scoring system. And is it too biased towards a few epic reigns at the top? Well, that's... Yeah, that's the one by which we measure them, isn't it? That's the 20 score, the yeah. pachometer. So, like, Al- Alfred was king of England for 28 and a half years mm. in the 9th century with Vikings running Good around. Point. And his longevity score is 8.97. So that's less mm. than half. And in this series, Malcolm II, 29.67 years, again, with all the crazy Scots killing each other. I think. The eighth best Scottish score, but only 10.29. Because we've got a mega one. Because we've got a mega one at the end. So is there some way that we can get a gradient somehow? We need a um, someone with an, a, a mathematical brain and also some computer wizardry. Mark Craster emailed in saying, I wondered regarding Richard III, um, having listened to the episode again, agree that you couldn't give him the Rex Factor and what he actually did as alive, but dead, he is massive. What? In terms of his sort of starry qualityness. Uh, yes. I mean, the man seems to attract near devotion from followers, and the level of public interest in him in regard to biographies and fiction seems to far outweigh what he ever did. My question is, do you think that if there was a Rex Factor for a posthumous success, would he get it? Definitely, actually. That's a good point. Yeah. Who else have we got in that category? Who else could win that? I'm trying to start a campaign for Edward I. It's not <laughs> the same level. But, you know, there's, there's, there are people like me out there. Now, some messages from our Privy Councillors. Yes, of course. Stacey Fraser from New Zealand. Well, good day. Um, I discovered you last year, but spent ages trapped in the Saxon period trying to get those boy kings in the right order. Then I remembered I'm 38 and no one is going to quiz me. <laughs> now my partner Dan has started listening after hearing me snort with laughter throughout. I don't need a message. Just tell Dan to stop skipping ahead and telling me who gets Rex Factor. Dan, stop skipping ahead, and I'd really like you to test her on the <laughs> Saxon kings to work out whether she's got them in order. Uh, James Moy messaged in saying, I was wondering if you all have an opinion of Bernard Cornwall's Dark Age and medieval fiction. I thought Agincourt was particularly inspired and was genuinely touched to find that the protagonist, Archer Nicholas Hook, was an actual name he found on some surviving muster roll. That gave me a Rex Factor-related suggestion for you to put in the hopper with the rest. An anti-Rex episode or series on commoners about whom we actually have enough historical record to chat about. The various rebellion leaders, John Ball, Jack Cade, Freeborn John, etc., might be a good way to theme it. Would really help defend your historiographical approach from all the attacks, no doubt seething, on the Hobbs-Hormium left. What an interesting idea. Hmm. To do like a pleb factor. (laughs) Yeah, pleb factor, yeah. (laughs) I like it, Graham. I like it a lot. And in answer to his question about Bernard Cornwell... Love it! Mark Kennedy says, Gentlemen, I apologise for holding back my patronage until now, but initially I didn't want to be construed as supporting the great injustice done Ali in the ETPM. Well, thank you. The Edgar the Peaceable matter. Although I have since apologised, so I should really not speak. <laughs> And Robbie Dale says both the Scottish and English kings and queens have been really interesting to learn about through this podcast. Particularly with these Scottish monarchs, it's interesting to see which actually die natural deaths and which are brutally stroke hilariously murdered. 
most of them. So thank you for all your messages and all your support. It's all very much appreciated. Yeah, totally love hearing from Rex fans. It's always good on Facebook and Twitter and everything. Anyway, next time on the uh, Scottish series, we will be doing Edgar's brother, Alexander. Uh, But until then, it's goodbye from me. Cheerio! Cheerio!